but I really bankrupted my soul in that process. And um, as uh, as the universe um, has its way of of, uh, of of showing you things, I sold that whole business in 2015. And so we sold it. I made a big payday, and I found myself in my early 40s. And I'll stop there, where I basically reached the peak. And and you know, I mean, I had all the money in the world. I had an oceanfront, um, you know, an oceanfront community uh, house. I had the wife, the kids, the toys, the cars, the exotic vacations. I mean, I had all, everything. And you should have seen my LinkedIn profile, right? I mean, I looked like a star. The world thought I was a star. Um, in 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 the you know in the way we describe that in the in in the worldly success. Um, but I couldn't yeah. look at myself in the mirror. Uh, and I had become a shadow of really what I thought I was. And I had, you know, um, sullied my wedding vows. I had lost my integrity. I, you know, we call that clever and smart and astute and all those things. We have beautiful words for it, but I was really, I had become a narcissistic asshole. Hey everybody. Welcome back to the mental purpose podcast. I'm your host, Ian Lobos. Today, we're going to go deep. We're going to go real deep with a very successful guy, you know, big corporate guy, big, you know, almost like hedge fund and investment guy and, and, and real estate holdings and all the, all the stuff that, that most people dream about, you know, Ivy league education and getting into GE and, and running the, the airport, um, or GE capital aviation services and the airport infrastructure group for GE. I mean, that's big. That's big time corporate making tons of money, real estate investing, uh, developing real estate. Robert Althaus is my guest today. And, and he had it all. He had it all. And like you heard in the intro, he said it bankrupted his soul. And that's the kind of guy we want to talk to. I don't care about the guy that's at the top of his corporate gig and he's, and he's, you know, unhappy and, and he's just floating on the cash and he's, and he's getting all the accolades and he's filling himself out up from the external. I, I care about the guy who said, you know what? I, I was out of alignment and that wasn't me. And I decided that despite all the fun I was having and all the craziness was going on, I realized that my family and most of all myself was more important than all that stuff and all those accolades and all that cash. And it's not to say the cash isn't important. It's not to say that money isn't important. It, it, it just it depends on what you do with it. So today we're going to talk about some really deep stuff from Robert's story uh, and and growing up and wanting to be a tennis pro and his dad kind of poo-pooing that and, and pushing him into some other you know avenues, dealing with anger and resentment and, and how parents instill beliefs in us. And, and like, when I get to that level, I'll be happy. And when I get to that level, I'll finally be happy. When I get to that, you know, that's, that's the stuff. That's the stuff that, that the men of the world are doing, you know, the, the successful men of the world. I frankly, a lot of people, I mean, the, the vast majority of people that we talk to in the men on purpose world and the quitters club world, they're constantly moving the goalposts. They're never happy. They think they'll be happy when they get that, that next sale, that next Airbnb or that next commercial investment or that next paycheck or that next promotion. And it never comes. And so what we're going to talk about today is, is stop moving the goalposts. Stop moving the goalposts and actually figure out how to become happy, how to transmute that, that external validation that you seek and turn it into the inside, understand yourself inside and find out who you truly are 
to really align with and discover your passion and your mission while you're on this planet. That is where we're going today. And so, oh man, we're going to talk about so many great things. Just look at the show notes. Just pull up the show notes. You'll see them. I don't need to describe them. I don't want to take this any longer. Robert Allhouse is my guest. Like I said, he's a super successful guy who decided that he wanted to shift and change. And he's going to tell you his whole story. And by the way, I don't talk a lot on this one. So this, you know, it's really good. You know, it's really good if the guest is, is controlling this conversation and it's, and it's beautiful what Robert talks about. You guys are going to really enjoy this guys and women. You're really going to enjoy this. And, um, and man, this was exciting to hear. I love to hear a guy like this who has shifted and changed his life, transformed it, transmuted, like completely shifted and now has found his purpose and passion in helping other men do the same. I'm in that boat and I love to see other men in that boat too. So here you go. This is going to be fun. This is Robert Althaus. Enjoy. All right, Robert, we're going deep, man. This is a deep one today. So let's, let's just dive right in. I love it. Your backstory, like I was saying before we started recording, one, uh, just as a, as a note to the audience, you didn't come through a booking service. You emailed me directly and had a really great, I, would, I, I don't actually call it a pitch. I don't think what you sent me is a pitch. I think what you sent me is a, hey, do you think this would be valuable for your audience? And, and I found it very valuable. So just to the audience out there, if you find that you have something really valuable that you want to share with the audience through this medium, you can email me directly at mentalpurposepodcast at gmail.com, just like you did. And sometimes it matches and and we go with it just like this. So I just I wanted to I wanted to again thank you in front of the audience for sending me something of, of extreme value that I couldn't say no to. Well, and I appreciate I knew the that. Audience thank you. Thank you. You're making me blush, man. Yeah. We barely yeah. started. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, dude, your your backstory I'm mm -hmm. sure is interesting. So let's get into it. Let's dive. Let's. Who were you before you got into this kind of work? Yeah. Thank you. I, and I'll, I'll I'll try to kind of keep it short. I'm old, so you know it's a lot of backstory. But um, you know, I was born in Amsterdam. I had a yeah, a beautiful childhood. I, I, I did have a father that was born in World War II, and he was a hardcore guy, uh, kind of scarred by that war experience. And uh, my mom was very hardworking, too. They were both kind of self-made people. And uh, but, but it was a privileged childhood. You know, I'm not going to claim I came from poverty or the wrong side of the tracks or anything like that. And uh, But I did kind of venture out and kind of break away from my father, who was quite a dominant figure in my life. So at 21, I went to Australia to sell yachts. Then I uh, drove motorbikes in the U.S. and the west of the East Coast. And then I became a tennis pro, which is really what I wanted to do when I was younger. But he kind of killed that dream. He yeah. said, you know, just go to school. You know, tennis, is that's that's for fun. Do it after school when you have time. And uh, I did that for a couple of years, uh, kind of a dollar late a day short. And uh, by 25, I went into business. I, by this time in Atlanta. And uh, I got into real estate. I was just a low paid $7 an hour real estate analyst. I started learning. Someone took me under their wing and taught me the business. I was good at it. I went to night school and then uh, I, I was pretty successful at that. I'm a really competitive guy. And this whole GPA average in the US was just like was prime for me. Um, and then I, uh, about five, six years later, I, uh, I graduated, put myself through night school. At this time, I was making quite a bit of money, actually, uh, not because I was so smart, but but the Atlanta real estate market was also really hot during this time in the in the 90s. This was yeah. right at, right around the Olympics and afterwards. And um, I went to New York to business school 
I, uh, I heard that the Ivy League business schools was kind of the cream of the crop. That's where, uh, where the real pros meet. And I wanted to see, I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to see if I could hang, you know. And so that was a beautiful experience, although I was there for 9-11, which was, um, uh, you know, in some way also a very uh, beautiful experience uh, because it's so unique, but it was also clearly very tragic. And, um, and then I went into business. I got recruited by GE went into this executive management program and I had a, a lightning rod career there. Uh, again, I, you know, I was good at what I did. I worked hard. Um, I out hustled everybody. Um, I was also incredibly competitive and, um, and GE was a great place for me because it allowed, it, it allowed just about anybody that really wanted to, to uh, float up. Now I also got a little lucky and I always got lucky during my career. Everybody does because in a company like GE, you have to find someone that fishes you out of the crowd. There's a lot of talented people at a big company like that. And I had some people that took a liking yeah. to me. And, uh, and so that, that really accelerated my career. I ended up doing um, airport infrastructure all over the world. I, we were, this was the aircraft leasing unit, actually, that got into airports. And I had a real estate background. So they pulled me into that. We raised all kinds of billion-dollar funds. We did all kinds of funds, fancy stuff. And then the uh, financial crisis hit. The regulators came in and they kind of said, you know, no more of this cowboy stuff. And it was cowboy stuff we were doing. So we wound down this unit and uh, I more or less fired myself. And this is where I had an opportunity to buy out what we call an orphan asset. It was just kind of a little business that we had bought into that was left over. And uh, I left GE in the early 2009. And that's how I got into business for myself. Still in this real estate infrastructure uh, world. And, um, you know, I, we had a whirlwind um um, experience there. It was kind of uh, dry bones. We almost didn't make it. And then we won a very big deal at the end of 2009 in Bogota, Colombia, which um, was a beautiful experience. It was harrowing in the way as well. We had big pension funds and private equity guys involved. And, you know, I swam with the sharks. I had been swimming with the sharks for a while, but I was truly swimming with the sharks now with my own money. And uh, in the process, I became a shark. Uh, one that the world thought was really successful, but I really bankrupted my soul in that process. And um, as uh, as the universe um, has its way of of, uh, of of showing you things, I sold that whole business in 2015. And uh, actually, the private equity guys wanted to get out, and so we sold it. I made a big payday, and I found myself in my early 40s. And I'll stop there, where I basically reached the peak. And, and, you know, I mean, I had all the money in the world. I had an oceanfront, um, you know, an oceanfront community uh, house. I had the wife, the kids, the toys, the cars, the exotic vacations. I mean, I had all, everything. And you should have seen my LinkedIn profile, right? I mean, I looked like a star. The world thought I was a star. Um, in, in, in the, you know, in the way we described that in the, in, in the worldly success. Um, but I couldn't yeah. look at myself in the mirror. Uh, and I had become a shadow of really what I thought I was. And I had, you know, um, sullied my wedding vows. I had lost my integrity. I, you know, we call that clever and smart and astute and all those things. We have beautiful words for it, but I was really, I had become a narcissistic asshole and I couldn't, I, I couldn't reconcile it anymore. Um, and I couldn't reconcile this dichotomy of, the world sort of looking up to you when you get to that status. Yet internally, I, 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 I couldn't look at myself. 
what I have become, right? And so that started this process of kind of what I call the inner world exploration, because I there gotta be there's gotta be more to life than this. There, this this can't be the way. Yeah. And uh, and that's kind of what kicked off this what became a kind of a long, prolonged, you know, deep spiritual search. And in that, all kinds of things unraveled, uh, revealed themselves, and it just uh, really just transformed me as a, as a man, as a person, as a father, uh, now as an ex-husband, but I call it a world-class ex-husband because I screwed up the husband part. Um, but you, I can still be a world-class ex-husband. So, um, yeah, it just transformed the lens through which I see life. It's interesting. There's so much in there that I'd like to dig into. Go for the, it. The, the one that really stands out to me is when you said your dad basically said, tennis pro, that's not a thing. You, you go to school, that's for after school. Right. Do you have a lot of resentment, anger, regret by not following that path and doing more of what you're supposed to do? Follow the scholastic path, you know, get a good job, a GE. I mean, you, you think yeah. about it. You're a, you're a model of yeah of what the the average matrix living in the matrix parent oh, 100%. wants for their kid. Hundred percent. Get yeah. the good grades. Get the good school. Go to this business school. Yeah. That Ivy League school. Go to here. Go to here. Get recruited by GM. Get on this project. Make a shit ton of money. My son's successful. Right. right. They want that mostly selfish. Yeah. Is that what your dad was thinking? I mean, you know, I, I look at it a little bit different and, 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 you know, there's, there's some really interesting uh, experiences there too. He passed away in early 2017. He had Parkinson the last 12 years of his life, which was hard to witness. And I, and I thought I was all reconciled with it, you know, because I had kind of almost superseded his success in the world. And, um, and I thought it, I was okay with it. And then when, he, uh, when we had the memorial service in Holland, I flew back, I spoke at his uh, uh, memorial, and then, you know, afterwards, you know, all these old family friends get together. And, you know, one person after another, people that have known my whole life, right, friends of, my, of, of the family, family members, and they all came up to me and they, and they said, you know, oh, my God, you know, you, you, uh, he always spoke of you. He was always talking about everything you were doing. He was always like, you know, just, just almost living through you. And, you know, it, it ripped my heart to pieces because he never, ever in his life told me he was proud of me. And that was a driving force of, you know, I wanted to prove myself, my worth, my, you know, I, 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 I craved that. Right. And um, that night I, I just fell apart. I was like, you know, I, I thought I was all done with it. But as I started looking into it more and more and, and, and think about his life, you know, here's a guy that was born in 1940 that lost his father when he was three. Uh, his father was deported to work camps and perished there eventually. And then, you know, he had Nazi soldiers raiding his house when he was five years old. They, they were eating uh, tulip bulbs uh, when he was five years old. And so this man's vision of the world was so colored by those early childhood years. And then, you know, Holland was Traumatic, devastated. Yeah. yeah, Holland was devastated after the war. You know, the, the, the Germans had looted it and it took years to rebuild. And that was his childhood, you know? I mean, it was a country that was rebuilding. Now, once he kind of came out of high school and in the university and started making his career, Holland had kind of rebounded. It was a, a country of a lot of opportunity because Europe, you know, the Marshall Plan and all that. but. 
you know, those early childhood years when I started looking at it, so life to him was hard, you know, that that's the lens through which he saw life. And what he instilled in us and me and my brothers was, you know, there's no God. You're out there for yourself. It's every man for himself. Life is hard. You can't play, you know, um, don't have too much fun, save for a rainy day. You know, you never know what's going to happen. That's how he saw life. And all he did in the best way he could, he instilled those things in me. And, you know, of course, that caused some trauma in me uh, in some ways. But at the other hand, you know, I also started to see like, you know, I was 21. Everybody was safe and protected in, 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 you know, living under the wings of their parents. I flew by myself to Australia with a thousand bucks in my pocket and I just survived. I had jobs because he had taught us to, live, to work in construction and, and, and uh, factories because he wanted to show us what real life was like, right? That was, that he thought that was motivating. Like if you work in a factory when you're 15, you know what you don't want. So that was going to make you want to go to college, right? That, that was the kind of man he was. Yeah. We, we could always borrow money, but you had to pay interest because he said that's what happens in real life. Nobody's going to give you money. So if you want to buy a moped at 16, you could, you could borrow money from him, but you had to pay interest. And frankly, a lot of these skills have been incredibly useful. I use them to this day. You know, I'd never worry about not being able yeah. to feed my family because uh, I'll go hang sheetrock if I have to, you know. But, you know, the yeah. flip side of it was that he also gave me this belief that life was hard. And he gave me this belief that, you know, money is what makes your worth. And success in business is what makes your worth. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it screwed me up in certain ways too, because I, I, I kind of adopted that lens from him and yeah, in hindsight, I saw like, you know, he killed that tennis dream. I, I can see that he did that in my best interest from the place that he saw life. Um, and I wanted to be an architect. He said, don't become an architect. They don't make any money. Become a real estate developer. Right. So guess what? I became a real estate developer. Didn't become an architect. Um, so, you know, but these things, like, they come on our way because we can draw wisdom and learning and growth and evolution, and we can exceed these ancestral wounds. They're not there for us to be hampered our whole life. They're us for us to see them for what they are and transmute them, right? What's up, guys? I'm so sorry to interrupt the episode. I just need one minute to share with you all the new and exciting, amazing stuff we've got created here at Men on Purpose. First of all, thank you for listening to the podcast and supporting the movement we're creating for all the men in the world. Next, you've got to check out our new website, menonpurpose.net, where you'll find all kinds of cool stuff, including links to our podcast and the free Men on Purpose community. You're also going to find our new free purpose-driven formula mini course and ebook and links to all of our new coaching programs and products. Look, I've had so many of you ask me where to get started with your personal growth journey or where you can go to level up. So I put this thing together, this free ebook and mini course, and we're going to be talking about and coaching you through a really light version of our purpose-driven formula, which is our foundational formula. And for those of you who are ready now, we got you. Listen up, whether it's becoming the best husband, being the best dad, quitting that job that doesn't serve you, just understanding how to put you first. We've got what you need to align with your authentic self and find that true fulfillment and live a life with no regrets. Look, we're helping men with structure, support, and sustainability. That's what you've asked for and that's what we deliver. As we lead you through proven and tested curriculum that focuses on formulas to help you get farther faster. So make sure you go to menonpurpose.net, 
Click the button to download our free, powerful, purpose-driven formula mini course and ebook. And while you're there, make sure you check out some of our amazing products designed to help you find your purpose, stop self-sabotage, and dial in your mindset, skills, and habits to evolve into the best version of you. Why? Because we want you to live and have the best life possible. No regrets. So mentalpurpose.net, let's get back to the episode. You know, in our in our coaching practice, people will say, well, I don't think I'm traumatized. And I'll say, well, you know, what's interesting is the that trauma is too much love or too much pain. Like it, your brain processes it all, all yeah. the same. It's too much love will traumatize you one way. Too much abuse and pain will traumatize you a different way. It's still trauma. It's still it's still there shifting and shaping the way that you believe and yeah. the lens that you see the world through. You know, my my um, my dad still has a shipping business. He, I don't know, he's probably been in business 40 years at this point. Right. And when I was a kid, I was taught hard work and hustle and grind yeah. and, and, and not like in a hardcore way, just in a, this is what you do. You're yeah. a provider for your family. That's what guys do. And my dad wasn't trying to like mess me up or, or no. cause trauma. He was no. just teaching me what his dad taught him. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not realizing that it's, there, there is a way that I'm forming trauma that I don't even know about. And so when I got to college, I didn't like school. I didn't want to go to high school. I didn't want to go to college. And when I got out of college, all I could think about was joining him in business. That's all I liked. I loved the shipping business. It's, right. it's what I knew. I wanted to work with my dad. And in subsequent years, like recent years, doing a lot of deep, real deep-seated work on myself, what I realized was that, one, I was seeking my dad's approval by joining him in business yeah and two um i never was confident and this was unconscious i was never confident enough that i could actually achieve what he had achieved on my own so i had to join him because i could get that leg up now i think it was smart and it was also great to have 10 years experience working with my dad like nobody could ever take that from us we had a lot right. of fun we built a lot of stuff we built the company really big Yet I also learned that I was seeking approval and, and for him to be proud of me and for and for um, the insecurity that I didn't think I could do what he could do. All right. So we all have that kind of thing going on in our lives. That's why this type of episode is so important for yeah. us to think like somebody would go, what the hell does Robert have to be like? You know, wh why would he think his life is in turmoil? And I want to get to that resistance piece when you looked in the mirror and when you saw your life and said like man i'm it, it, i remember your line was it bankrupted my soul i think that's going to be the opening line of this episode how, how are you that clear at that point how are you really knowing and getting clear on the resistance you're feeling between this shell of a person that you are in terms of reaching the pinnacle and then this other half of you that's like hey when are you going to feed your soul here bro yeah how do you see that how do you yeah. know that that's what it is yeah and and and, and what it is is in a conflict and I'll, I'll talk about it in a second i just want to mention one more thing on everything you said um sure. you know we 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 all kind of grow up in the fishbowl and and we get colored by this water of the fishbowl even though the water looks clear and uh we don't even see we're swimming in the water we're literally that fish and Every part of our upbringing, our culture, society, um, religious belief that we grow up with, it's just the water we swim in. And we take on those colors. And, and our, our, really the lens through which we see life takes on those colors. And so we can only start seeing that when we start seeing like, hey, I got some fog on my lens here. 
Um, you know, I need to start looking right. into that. Now, this inner conflict, um, you know, I, I, I thought that when I, when I get here, when I become that somebody, I call it, right, then I'm going to be happy. And when I, and then each time, you know, throughout my career, I would get there and we all do this. And then, you know, we have this fleeting kind of um, uh, sense of happiness, accomplishment, whatever. And then we move the goalposts because now we want to make our next million dollars or our business needs to be this, or we want the, this type of wife or whatever it is, right? It doesn't matter. And so we're always becoming somebody and within becoming somebody, it's outside of us. We're always chasing we're always on our way we're actually never really here present we're always on our way becoming somebody and you know i had this all this time and then i reached this mountain peak and here i am and i have all the money and i have the house and the wife and the kids and the cars and all this shit and i just looked around me and i'm like why am i not happy i'm supposed to be happy right now this is what the world told me like if i get here right this is it this is the holy grail i got it and I was literally like, it's almost like I was, I was holding the Holy Grail and I finally got to look inside and it's fucking empty. I'm like, you know, I was sold a bunch of bullshit because I, I'm not happy. I'm not, I feel restless. I feel unfulfilled. I, and then, you know, that kind of triggered this unlaying because I had sold 80% of my business. I still had some business interest, but I had a lot of time on my hands. So now I had a lot of time to think because I wasn't moving all the time, doing, doing, doing. So in that time of sitting and reflecting, I started really kind of seeing everything for what it was. And I was like, man, I, you know, what have I done? I mean, the last few years, I, I, you know, I had big business in Bogota and an apartment there. I shuttled between Miami where my family lived in Bogota. And the last few years I, I went local, uh, meaning, you know, I did what all the other powerful business guys did. Um, a lot of strip clubs and, and all kinds of other stuff. And, you know, I had sullied my wedding vows in business. I was cutting. I was, uh, you know, I, I didn't commit fraud or corruption. I didn't murder anybody. But, you know, I was involved in businesses that were corrupt. I was involved because I worked with governments and airport projects. And, you know, I didn't do it directly, but I was close enough to it. I said in, in one negotiation in Latin America, I said in a conference room, and I knew the president of the country was sitting in the conference room next to it. And we were negotiating, and the lawyers would go to the next conference room to see if that was acceptable to the president, meaning if there was enough money in it for him, right? And I wasn't directly doing it, but I was, I was a cog in that wheel and I got to see a lot of ugliness and underbelly of big business. I even see a lot of shit at GE that, you know, if it was on the front street, uh, front page of the wall street journal, um, it, 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 it wouldn't cut mustard. So, you know, I had seen so much and I, I was really just struggling inside because that was not really me. That was not really the true me. There was a conflict in me. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy. I, why am I doing this? Why, why have I evolved, right? And I was so monomaniacally focused on success and money and growing and wealth and that everything else had kind of, everything else, there was a trail debris behind me. But everybody was lauding me for these beautiful, shiny things I had accomplished. 
But nobody talks about this trail of debris behind me, right? My first wife, um, you know, I divorced her after five or six years. Uh, she had not wanted to move to New York. So, you know, and after business school, I had decided I'm going to go to G. I decided I never even talked to her about it. And I flew back to Atlanta and, you know, we had already had our troubles. And um, I basically told her I'm going to Connecticut. I took a job with G and we're going to get divorced. And like she was like as if she was disposable. But somewhere deep inside of yeah. me, she was just didn't fit in the picture anymore. You know, I was moving on. And she was technically disposable in your. Yeah, no, in a way, if I'm really honest about it. And uh, and so, you know, when when you start reconciling your life in your year of 40s and you see that and you start seeing like, shit, man, I've created all of this. And I but this time I had so, you know, I had I, I drank a lot. I used a lot of drugs. I had anxiety pills, painkillers, you know, I would have ulcers. Um, I, I, you know, I, I also wasn't healthy because I was numbing myself, this pain inside. And so, you know, I had this conflict of the way the world looks at me and what I really know is going on on the inside, right? It was a really hollow story and I couldn't live with it anymore. I, I, at that time, I had no idea how to solve it, by the way. I, I just knew that I, I, I had to figure out another way. And, you know, the this, this circumstances of selling most of my business, I really didn't have that much interest to continue. Um, the drive was kind of gone. And so it kind of channeled or guided me, nudged me to go on this inner exploration of figuring out, well, what do I want to do? How do I do this? And, um, you know, whole... whole slew of things happened to show me that. And eventually I went through, um, you know, a second divorce. I went through, I had a hurricane wipe out of business, which teeter, had me teetering on the edge of bankruptcy. And when you get really knocked off your horse by life, um, you know, I got stripped naked by life. I went from the peak to the mountain to the bottom of the valley in a couple of years. And, yeah. um, you know, it's the best thing ever happened to me. It's awesome, man. I love that story. And unfortunately, well, actually, fortunately, there are a lot of guys that have gone through that. It's like, a, I think in some cases you would say it's like a deal with the devil that you make and you get to this high, high point and that the trail of debris, that's a great way of, of describing it. The trail of debris is all over the place, yet all people see is you pulling up in a shiny Bentley. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, that's cool. He, he must be a successful and amazing. Yeah at business and rich and yet you don't see the destruction of everything you just ran over on right. your way to right. that place. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's unfortunately a very common story. However, what's not common is actually is getting out and finding that inner self and that true purpose. And, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell the audience one of the lines that you had written to me that, um, that really caught my attention and, and it's, and it goes like this. When we go on our hero's journey into the deepest part within, we not only discover the wounds, limited beliefs, and inner dragons we need to slay and transmute, but we also find a gift. We discover our purpose, which, when we bring our life in alignment, allows us to live our mission. I'm very fortunate enough to have gotten myself out of the middle of all that. Right. The business, the money, the success, the chase, 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 the 
fill the voids inside, fill the heartache, numb the pain, you know, block right. the block the inauthentic, yep. um, or really really block the authentic because what what was out was the very yeah yeah it was the mask right yeah and you and i are lucky guys yes the mask you and i are lucky guys and 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 it took a it took a a almost divorce you know on my part yeah um and a and a lot of very clear conversations with my wife for me to for her to say to me look I, i can't keep doing this with the version of you that you keep running around like i know who you really are and I just pray to God that you find it one day because you're a really good dude and you could really help a lot of people in this world. And right now you are hurting so many people and leaving this, like, just right. like you said, this trail of destruction to run from this monster that's that you think is chasing you, which is absolutely not real. And it was a, it was a coach of mine that said to me one day, bro, slow the fuck down. What are you running toward so fast? Like there's no time limit. There's no. Right. timer up on the up on the screen that says you got to get there by this time and most importantly what the fuck are you running from so fast that you are so scared is going to catch up to you right. what's your past look like right and i started to analyze it and it wasn't a bad past it was yeah. just that i'd never dealt with the shit inside that yeah that no, that's, i was so fucking scared to deal with that's no, no, no. um that's so true i'm actually in the middle of writing my second book which is based on sacred geometry and a lot of these things and you know one of the elements of uh, I call the being, which is a, a constituent attribute of the feminine. And, you know, we're so lost in doing and um, yeah. being um, is, is, is a completely different quality. And we won't delve too much into it. But what, what I really wanted to point out is that, first of all, wherever someone is, whatever you've done, right, it's all beautiful, even the carnage. Because this this is just an experience. Everything is just an experience from which we can evolve and grow. We can choose to evolve and grow, or we can choose to carry it forward and carry that pain within us. But if we want to let go of the pain, we got to transmute it, right? We got to forgive ourselves, really, for our own transgressions. And we're just human, which is fine. So we make mistakes. Um, how we typically get there, which I tell everybody. Uh, and in my case, it was certainly the case. We usually, uh, you know, meet ourselves, you know, full on in in catastrophe, crisis, calamity. We get sick. We lose uh, uh, a partner, a love partner. We go through a divorce, financial ruin. A kid gets sick. A, uh, a, a loved one dies. It, it doesn't matter really what it is, to be honest, because these are just the moments in our life where something shifts. And we are exposed to something within us that we have to address. This is why the universe brings these things on our path. There's never any cruelty in any of it, uh, as hard as the situation can be. Uh, these are what I call divine gifts wrapped in sandpaper. And, you know, when I work with clients, usually they come to me when their life is in a mess. And I say, this is fantastic. And I say, how can you say that? Because I say, this is where all the growth is. Like, you know, and it's just a perspective shift because when everything is going really well and the gravy train is running full force, it's a beautiful time. You should enjoy it. But you don't learn that much, you know, when everything is just going your way. It's just a time to enjoy life and, and you know, and, 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 you know, make it as beautiful as you can. It's when we go through these 
downturns, through these deep valleys, through these dark periods when we have terrible experiences that seem to almost, you know, be able to just kill us in some way. It's really where we come alive. It's really where we grow. It's where we evolve. If we choose to go into it and see, well, why does this, what can I learn from this? Where can I take this? And it, it, it comes on your path in a different way, but um, that's usually how it happens. It, it, it's, you know, we wake up when we're faced with crisis and catastrophe. Some people have said to me, you know, you're, this whole transformation you talk about, it's just you feeling guilty for all the shit you did in your previous life. And I'll say, I mean, look, I, I'm not going to argue with you about that. I definitely do have some guilt. However, you know, if you want to get really, really, really deep, that was the human part of me getting lost and and caught up in the human experience. Right. The soul's plan was much different for me. And now instead of just not feeling guilty about my past mm -hmm. i've now tapped into because i've removed all the shiny materialistic egotistical distraction i've now tapped into something that i'm actually meant to do on this planet for the planet right. not for me it's the world through me and now i see that more clearly and i'm happier because of it yeah sure does this millions of dollars make you happy I mean, I think I, I don't know if anybody would argue that it doesn't. It's I guess it depends on what you do with it. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure that people who are poor would love to have millions of dollars to calm their pain and their worry. And their, wh wh when the, where's the mortgage coming from? Yet it's not sustainable because they don't have the skills to actually manage it or keep it or build more of it or whatever. So it's not it's not about the money. It's about it's about who I was when I had a lot of that money and when I was building a very large business, it's who I was back then. Now it's not to say that I don't make great money today. It's not to say that I won't make that type of great big money again. I'm just a very different being. Like you right. said, yeah, my money, 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 money is just an amplifier. You know, if you're, if you're a beautiful person, it will make you a more beautiful, generous person. If you're an asshole, it'll make you a better asshole. Um, but, but why do you feel guilty at all? For anything me I, I don't you know what uh that's not true i i feel um i feel a little bit of shame around how i behaved and and, and it's fleeting like it's not it doesn't stick with me daily it was just at that point you know a couple years ago when i was when i was new in the transformation of me um or transmutation of me I was really holding a lot of guilt based on how I behaved and how I treated certain people, like especially my wife. And I don't have that anymore because I've actually had beautiful conversations with her saying like, I made these decisions based on fear, scarcity, insecurity. They weren't decisions based on the heart or me. And she's since forgiven me for those. Right. I did carry a lot of guilt though. Yeah. And, 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 um, you know, guilt and shame are very low, frequency vibrations and i'm not, not accusing you of anything but we all carry a lot of and it all comes from this thing called sin which is really an invention of religion and you know all we need to do is own our our mistakes our missteps right we just have to own it we don't have to carry the shame or the guilt because there's nothing we can do about something we've done in the past um 
What we can do is own it. And owning and coming clean with that can also mean that you reach out to those people you breached and you try to make it whole. Whatever form that takes. That could be just a verbal apology. That might be compensating for some damages if it's financial or otherwise that you cause. Maybe providing another opportunity for them. Maybe you can help them in some way. You know, whatever, whatever it needs to make that whole, make that integral again. But shame and guilt aren't uh, something that we really have to carry. I, I like, I prefer ownership. You know, I own all the shit I've done. I'm, I'm making zero excuses for yeah. it. And I can explain it perhaps where it was coming from, but I still own it. Because yeah. just because I had fears or, you know, uh, limiting beliefs or whatever caused it, right? That's not an excuse. It's just an explanation. And so as long as I own all of it, I made it. Where do you a, think that guilt comes from? Well, I, I, I do think there's a very deep undercurrent in Western civilization of sin. And sin yeah. imposes shame and guilt. There's actually a very big undercurrent in society today that is based on imposing shame and guilt on people. And it takes all intellectual honesty out of the way. Uh, and, and, and it eliminates any possibility of actually understanding each other. Um, so I, I, I don't think those are very, um, I, I think they're very degenerative uh, emotions. Uh, they tend to just drag us down. It doesn't really move you forward. Um, now, if you think about levels of consciousness, and David Hawkins did a lot of work on that, you know, shame and guilt are very, very low. Where anger, for instance, is also low, also below, you know, level, the critical level 200. But anger has a fire in it that can move you out of apathy, right? And apathy is basically people that are listless, that just can't move themselves to move beyond themselves. Now, shame and guilt is also something that holds you back. It doesn't really drive you to change yourself. You're just welling in it. You're just kind of swimming in it, right? Where anger already has more fire in it so you can actually, um, you know, move past it. Now, where you really want to go is courage and above. Because courage is what you need to change. Courage is what you need to open up to becoming different, which is really leaving it behind you, whatever it was that you used to be, used to do, right? And so when you, when you look at addictions, right? When they're in shame and guilt, they tend to not get out of it. When they're in apathy, they're totally listless. They have no energy to get out of it. Now, when they get angry, now there's at least some fire to work with, right? But then really where you want to move them is courage and above. Because from courage, we can overcome an addiction. We can overcome a negative limiting belief. We can overcome negative situations in our life. We can really truly change. Yeah, and I just want to make note to the audience, the book that you're talking about is Power Versus Force by David Hawkins. Yeah, and he has another book, um, uh, Map of Consciousness, which is more um, a summary of all his work, which includes uh, Power Versus Force, but also some of his other work. Um, you know, just very powerful insights in this book. 
in your opinion, how does someone, and just to the audience who's never read that, um, it's a, it's very scientific. It's very evidence-based. And he's talking about moving through these, these, the frequency of from the lowest to the highest frequencies for lack of a better description. And in your opinion, how does someone move through, right? It's like, we totally, it's, you, you painted a very clear picture, the guilt and the shame. It, you're just kind of like sitting in the shit, right? Whereas right. anger, you actually get up and you start to move with, with force and energy, like with energy. Right. How does someone then move into those next higher frequencies to, to cause change as in right. become courageous and actually have sustainable change? Yeah. I love it. I mean, when my second book comes out, it's going to have an entire ethos for how to make your life spiritual art, and it's going to go deeply into this. But, um, you know, I, I think the first thing, you know, and there's so many layers to this, but the first thing is awareness, always awareness. Um, and so as long as we're identified with our body and with our mind, which is our thoughts, it's very, very difficult to come out of any limiting belief because we can't even see it. It's just, you know, we think we are it, right? And, uh, you know, when we think we are a body, um, you know, we we get stuck in a lot of um, certain beliefs about life. um, And and it even plays out in some of the things we're seeing out, uh, playing out in society right now, uh, which, which is all centered around these identifications with all kinds of small tribe, race, uh, even gender, things like that. I mean, w- w- at, at our core level, none of us are any of that. We're a soul here having experience on, on this planet, right? And so this body is just a vehicle we have this lifetime. You know, this mind is something that comes from the brain, which is just here this lifetime. Uh, and then we have a whole bunch of experience and there. That's basically the library and our subconscious. But there's a whole universe of information and energy around here. Now, to start seeing all this and to start not identifying with the mind and the body, we have to first see that we are not the mind and we are not the body. And that's kind of the observer. Right. So we see our thoughts. It come by. But we don't have to go with these thoughts. Even our emotions. Right, which are tied to thoughts because they're produced by thoughts, they're stimulated by thoughts. We are not our emotions. We are having emotions. You know, when I have an angry emotion right now, it's actually not that I'm angry. I'm having an angry emotion. Now, once we can create a little bit of distance like that, now we can look at this angry emotion as as something that lives within us, right, and start seeing like, well, where is this coming from? It must be tied to a thought because beliefs produce thoughts, produce emotions. And then these emotions basically stimulate us to take action or inaction, which creates the results in our life. So once we can kind of separate that, that's awareness, really, we can see like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm, even when we say initially, I am, I'm angry, and then we can look at ourselves and like, no, 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 I'm not angry. I'm having an angry emotion. Now there's separation, right? There's a, a separation between yeah. I that I identify with and this emotion that's living within me. Well, now I can look with that little bit of distance. I can now look because now I'm not that emotion anymore. I'm not misidentified that I am the anger. 
I'm having an angry emotion within me. Okay, so what does this mean? Where's this coming? Well, it must come from a thought so or trigger. So what happened? Someone said something. Something happened. I saw something on TV that, you know, made me mad. And now we can look at like, well, what are the thoughts here? What is this going on? And, you know, if you go into stoicism, everything in stoicism is based that, you know, your entire perception of reality is just your perception. In that sense, everybody is always right because it's all relative truth. It's just we all believe we see the absolute truth. But that's nonsense. We each have our own version of relative truth. I can put 10 people in the same room watching the same movie and we're going to have 10 different experiences. Right. And so once we can start seeing ourselves like, you know, it's not as fixed as I thought it was. This is malleable. So if I can change, I can, I can see this thought and I can actually say like, you know what? I don't want that thought. I don't want that angry thought. Now, if I can change and convert that thought, which comes from awareness, I can actually change the emotion. So I can eliminate the anger by changing the way I think about it. So I haven't changed anything in the outside world. I haven't changed the trigger. I've changed the thought about the trigger. And what people don't realize, especially nowadays with all these very highly divisive conversations and um, opposing views and all that stuff, is that when anybody triggers you, you are giving them mental real estate. You are allowing them to squat in your mind, right? And really what you should start, try to do is like, hey, this real estate between my ears is my property. And I don't allow anybody to squat there. So when someone tries to trigger me, I, I'm just going to distance myself. It's just an opinion. It's just an interesting point of view. It says nothing about me. It says nothing about what I really do. I know what I do in this world. I know what I don't do. So if someone looks at me, like I had the other day, someone, I was in a discussion, and I, you know, it was just a lively discussion. It was actually um, about something that had a, a racial undertone. And then someone told me, well, you know, you, you, you can't really talk. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you're a white guy with blue eyes. You're like privileged. So you, you, you don't know anything. And, you know, I could get triggered by that. Or I could just say like, you know, that's just the way they look at life. Now, if you have that view on life, we will never, ever get to understand each other or anybody else. Because if you just rule out people like they don't exist, right? then you're never going to understand them. If you never understand them, as Misha Ancelo said, you know, you will never be able to love them. And, you know, ultimately, I think that's really where we all need to go. We need to love each other a little bit more and hate a little less. Yeah. Right? Because once we start kind of going in that direction, it's like, well, we all want the same goddamn thing. We all want to be happy and joyful. Right? It's not that hard. Sure. So, anyway... Um, Awareness, I think, is really where it starts because you have to separate yourself from, be able to separate yourself from your views, your emotions, so you can actually become the master of them. Sorry, that was a long answer. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the things, uh, uh, great answer, by the way. One of the things that we teach a lot of the guys in our groups, in our coaching groups, is to not have to be right to feel powerful 
and and in that in that conversation you were having, which I've 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 been involved in conversations like that before. That's an easy bomb to drop into in somebody who looks like us, so to speak. I don't have blue eyes, but you know, like like a white person, a uh, white white male, and and I've I've been in conversations where I've been triggered by it, and I've been in conversations where I just go, okay, well then I guess the conversation's over. Yeah, like you've proven your point. You're right, which makes me wrong, clearly to you. And so, and that's it. One of the biggest things that we talk to guys about, especially with their spouses or with their bosses, is the moment that you make this person wrong, the moment that you need to be right, the conversation's over. Right. You can't see anything else because it has to be the duality of right and wrong. It has right. to be the counterbalance. The moment that you stay open and you can see somebody's point, they can see yeah. your point, you don't have to have a conclusion. You can just move on by right. seeing each other's points and that's it. Nobody's wrong. Nobody's right. So I think that's like the level before what you were talking about. And then from there, you can just be happy right. because you're not triggered. You're able to just see somebody for their opinion. Right. It's their lens, right? right? Like you were talking about 10 people see a movie. They're all going to experience something different. Right. We have to realize that is the human experience. Right. That just is. Yeah. It's, no, it's absolutely. By all the shit we talked about. Yeah, and and Good. I'll, yep. I'll I'll kind of zone in on that because it's it's actually this. You know, there's a polarity nature in the finite world of form. Now, duality is really pointing at the fact that there's a formless, a spiritual, metaphysical, and a physical world. That's duality. Right. Polarity is this notion that here on the earthly plane, there's there's like always opposite pulls, whether it's masculine and feminine, it's good or bad, it's love and, and indifference, really, it's not hate, um, it's white and black, it's whatever it is, right? And almost universally, right or wrong, right? It's like two parts on the, and we have a way of moving through life with our beliefs, right? And we see this in politics so much, where people take polar positions but real life yeah. is all kinds of shades of gray very few things in this world are black and white very few most of them are shades or dimensions of gray and if we can yeah, if we can be more open to say you know there's lots of shades of gray maybe mine is closer to white and yours closer to black but they can all coexist at the same time. Your relative truth is, does not violate mine. It just doesn't. You know, you believing something, right? Let's say you believe X and I believe Y. Well, it makes absolutely no fucking difference that you believe that and I believe this. I mean, we can coexist thinking. We have 8 billion people on this planet. You think everybody's going to think yeah. the exact same thing? It's, it's, it's like, it's never going to happen. It's impossible. Right. So and if you actually start looking at life like that, then what you start finding is like, man, for the most part, we kind of all like in this bandwidth of gray. It's kind of like the same stuff. Even the politicians, when you yeah. sometimes hear them, it's like, guys, you're like two millimeters apart and you're making it sound like you're 100 miles apart. Miles. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but you're like two millimeters apart. 
like, but you're thinking in white and black. It's it's losing or winning. And and you know, I, I talk about this. It's finite games and the infinite game of life itself. And you know, mm-hmm. when we start seeing ourselves as the only real game worth playing in this life, is the infinite game, which goes on for eternity. And you're just here, you know, for one movie in in Earth right now in this incarnation. And what you are is spiritual art, right? And so if if your objective becomes how much self-poetry can I bring into this world, how much art, poetry, and beauty can I bring into this world, and that's really the game you're playing. Now, now you can play freely in finite games, which is anything that has winners and losers and all that shit. Because, you know, you don't get so caught up in the trophies anymore. And, you know, if you make, you know, obviously, if you can just pay your bills, it's great. If you make a lot of money, that's great, too. But your self-worth is not dependent on that. It's how much art, poetry and beauty you can bring into this world. And that's an endless game. Nobody loses. And we can all be different. Because your art and poetry and beauty looks different than mine. But if we all make the same art, wouldn't this be an incredibly dull place? Wouldn't this be boring as shit? Yeah, cool. A ton of judgment. So, you know, and when we can start looking at everybody else, like, man, he's just doing his art in his way, and maybe he's not that great a sculptor yet. But in a way, we're all just a block of marble. We're both the sculpture and the sculptor. Most of us don't realize that that's really the only game we're in in this lifetime, right? How much art can you bring into this world? How much beauty, how much poetry can you bring into this world? The rest is just games. Why are we so caught up in the money game? Because because most most people, I mean, you, you come from that big corporate world. Yeah. Most people are in the collection. Well, culturally, game. it's a and religion. It's amass, acquire, and collect as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I'm, I'm really deep into the regenerative economics, which is a completely different school of thought, more based on indigenous wisdoms, sure. where really we inherit the earth um, from, from our children kind of concept. Um, now, money is not dirty. Money is not bad. Business is not bad inherently, right? It's just we're so lost in chasing trophies, which is fame, fortune, and applause. And we equate shiny objects and trinkets and all kinds of nonsense with success. And and they're fun stuff. You know, they're fun. They're they're, they're just fun. They're just, uh, you know, they're decoration of of a beautiful life. Right? And they're there to enjoy. But when you get lost in chasing that, when you get lost in competition, competition is in violation of the true nature of nature. Now, I, I just actually wrote a little bit about that. So in competition, which we think is fantastic, right? But there's only two ways. You know, the, the, the people that argue and are devotees of competition say, well, that's how we advance and progress and, and excel. And it's not true. So... I'll explain to you why, because, you know, if you can see this in the context of business. So really the objective of competition is annihilating all competition. That's really the purpose of business. Now, a byproduct is that we have to get better, smarter, quicker to do that. And that's why we do it. But as soon as a company becomes a monopoly or duopoly, they, they become lethargic, they become bureaucratic, bloated, and they stop progressing, advancing, and excelling. 
right? And this happens in life everywhere. Now, love of the game, right? The love of life, you never stop evolving. You never stop pursuing. And I give this, in my new book, I give this example in sports. So if you look at Bjorn Berg, right, in tennis, he was this epic guy, One was winning everything. He retired a disillusioned man at 28. He was playing because he was extrinsically motivated. He was extrinsically motivated because that has driven him into the game in tennis. But he was burned out, disillusioned by 28. Roger Federer is 40 years old. He's the first one to congratulate Rafael Nadal when he surpasses him in Grand Slam titles. He always has a smile on his face, right? He's been coming back the last few years, injury after injury, and he loves even practicing tennis, right? Now, that's a guy that plays yeah. for the love of the game. It's it's about and playing. And it's fun of cash. Yeah, but the cash is irrelevant. So I, I know I, he's got the – but, no, you, but, but I think Roger would play. Because he doesn't have to play. He plays because he wants to. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, the love of the game is really where we really, and you see this in art. When you think about Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo, and, you know, when you look at the two greats that made artwork, maybe in their lifetime they were never even recognized. But something drove them to perfection and it never stopped. At 87, Michelangelo said, I'm still learning. Right? Now, that is what drives progress, advancement, and excellence, because it's intrinsic to what you're doing. It's not extrinsically motivated. Yeah. So if the only reason you're trying to be good is because it pays you money, you're extrinsically motivated. It's never going to last. And you're only doing it not because you want to get better, but because you want to get the money. And you'll never be the best. It's not going to happen. Because there's someone in that game, most likely, that is playing for the love of the game. And they can stay up all night and go seven days a week, and they will never sleep, and they will never get tired. Right? And so part of this whole journey is finding where do you have love for the game? Where are you getting up? And you're just, it's juicing you. It's like, it's getting you motivated. And quite likely, when you find that, you will find a way to make that your living and maybe a really, really good living too. And it, it will never feel like work. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The way you put that is, it's very clear. It's super clear. What about the, what about the other side of that and the argument of, well, uh, Robert, I've got to pay my bills and I've got, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love the game, but I got to pay my bills and I've got a family and I, and I want, I want an experience in life that, money has to buy oh. what do you say about that what about that human experience piece and the emotional piece they're not mutually exclusive first of all we are each a piece of work a, a piece of art we each have gifts talents and superpowers there's no cruelty in this universe we are all born with something beautiful and unique that we're truly gifted at We're all a puzzle piece of this mosaic called humanity. We all have something very beautiful to contribute. And we're always going to be most successful if we can figure out what that unique gifts, talents, and superpowers are. And then bring that into perfection and excellence. 
And we're always going to find it. I mean, I, I've seen so many examples of this. We're always going to find a way that 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 is going to ultimately pay for the lifestyle that, 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 that we like because we get inventive. It's something that we really want to do. We want to bring it into the world. We're passionate about it. We talk about it with love. There's no procrastination because this is what we want to do. Um, there's no doubt because, you know, this sure. is all we want to bring. Now, it might still need work. You might still need to study. You might need to get a diploma. You might need to get a license. I don't care what it is. Maybe you have to raise some money to, to bring this into life. That's just an earthly existence. That's just life. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. Maybe you need to suck it up a little bit for a couple of years because every business takes a few years to get off the ground and really start kind of running. Hey, it's part of the experience. Um, and But, you know, if you can find where that is, you're always going to have a natural competitive edge in that area. Now, if you just want to put a tie on and, and, you know, move decimals on a spreadsheet, you have no competitive advantage, right? Um, I, I, unless that's truly your dream. Uh, and, you know, there's art in that too. But so many people are doing something in life that is not their true passion because they never thought about their true. Nobody ever asked them. Nobody ever told them, like, go find your passion. People told them, you got to go to college, got to go do this, got to do that, you know. And, you know, you can't give all this stuff up because, you know, uh, what if you lose your house? What if you lose your car? You know, sometimes there's a little bit of bravery we need to have in life that, A, we need to trust life, right? And, B, honestly, you can rent for a few years. If the house is what's holding you in a life, that you don't even like. Is a house worth that? Is a car worth that? Is is it, it, it you know? Or do you say like, listen, I'm gonna shift back here for a year or two. I'm gonna sell the shit that's holding me in place in this life that I don't want, right? So I'm gonna do that. You know, I'm gonna sell the house, drive a different car, gonna downsize, pay a few, le- you know, buy a few less shoes. Maybe don't go on vacation this year. Whatever it is. Right. And I'm going to repurpose and redirect and shift my life in another direction. And if that means I got to rent for two years and not be a homeowner, like you think that's going to go in your tombstone? You know, I mean, like, who cares? Like, cares. It, it, it's no, it's no, no, it's like, you know, let that go. That's just a belief that you have to have a house and a bank account a 401k and all this shit. Be prudent. Don't be stupid, right? I mean, don't sell your house, go to Vegas, and try to double it in a roulette. I mean, I'm not saying that. Right, right. I, I'm saying, like, but be brave and be courageous and invest in yourself. Invest in your dreams. Invest in your inspiration. And be willing to be completely contrarian. I have a Ivy League MBA, right? I, I've made millions in my life. And, if, and about a year ago... You know, I was kind of bored and I kind of needed to do something. Uh, I was kind of in between a book launching and other things. And my coaching business was, you know, I had some time on my hands. I still had some business interests too. You know what I did? Just to screw with my own mind, I went to a car dealership and I applied for a a car sales position. And uh, the general manager was sitting there and he was looking at me like, this makes no sense. 
You know, you, I mean, you can like run the whole thing. I said, it's not the point. I want to, I want I'm telling myself here, right. That I'm not too good for anything. I don't care. Because as long as I cared what I do, I'm beholden to that thought. And I wanted to prove to myself genuinely, right, that I'm okay being a nobody. Because in nobody, I can be anybody. I'm free. As long as I want to be somebody, if I have to be seen by the world as somebody, I'm not free. I'm beholden to this image of the world. It owns me. My whole life today is about not being owned by anything but my soul. By the way, he didn't give me the job, <laughs> which was also a beautiful experience. He said, dude, I, you're not going to last here for two months because you'll sell plenty of cars, but then you're going to be like, you know, I, because I told him I'm in between books and this and that. And he says, like, I, I, I can't take you on, man. I like, you're going to be gone in two months. It's too much, too much of my brain damage to get you trained and all this stuff. And then, the, yeah, of course, of course. Um, but the point was really for me, it was being okay with it. There's an enormous amount of that. freedom when we let well, go dude, of all is... these things. Yeah, yeah, and and I have like I have so many more. I want to I want to do this again with you. I'd love you're to open to that when your when your second book comes out. I have like 50 more questions that I want to ask you about purpose and mission. We've already gone over an hour, and and yeah, and sorry, I talk some, a lot. Yeah, but um, you've dropped some real gold here. Um, yeah, I'm passionate about this because people are not free. And the freedom that you no. want is in you. It is a choice you make. But you do have to let go of some things. And mostly those are things that we think the world demands from us. But it's really just a thought. That's an idea. That's a belief. And if you can let go of that belief that, you, that, that, the, world, that, that the world needs you to show up, the, need, the world needs your art. Your authentic art, what you're here to bring into this yeah. world, that's what the world truly needs. And that's what your soul needs, too. You, that, 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 any yeah. pain, any suffering you have is a discrepancy between the art that wants to come out and the art you allow to come out. I think it's a great place to end. Beautiful, man. I, I, I do. I, yeah, we're we're gonna, we're gonna do this again. I'm gonna email you. We're doing this again. This I'd is, love to. I'd love to, man. Too much. And my, but I, we could take. We can make this a two-hour episode. It, my staff, my uh, my editing team's gonna be like, "What are you doing? I told you one hour or less." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know people's attention kind of uh, drops off. But listen, uh, I'm yeah, I'm a, I'm super open to it. On this um, super open to it, and uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I love talking about this because I I if we can light a fire or just, you know, just get a little pilot light going somewhere with someone, then that's, that's worth it. Right. We'll get some really good feedback from this episode. And uh, dude, I can't, I can't thank you enough for being here. Really, really appreciate your wisdom, your time, just the stuff that you've been through in your story is, is, uh, and by the way, I appreciate that um, duality versus polarity polarity is the word that i that, that yeah, makes more sense yeah. than what no, I, I, I didn't right. mean to correct you but it, it, it's 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 very often uh, confused no, no, no. I appreciate um, that. and um and it's this polarity that all the political divide all the everything 
all these these highly tensive discussions that we have in dialogue today in society is 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 too many people thinking black and white too much on this polarity side yeah. right they're polarizing everything yeah. and life is right. life is fucking gray it runs through the middle it has all kinds yeah. of shades and colors and it changes color all the time it's not fixed yeah. either it's dynamic it's situational like we need to get away from you know, hiding out in these polar positions and then putting shame and guilt on the other one, right? Pointing, pointing. No. Shades yeah. of gray. You know, we, 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 we've lost so it's much stuff, of that. Man. Thank you. I appreciate you being here. 106. Um, yeah, dude, this is, this has been great. I, I, I'm just thinking about all the things you said. I'm looking at all my notes and I know the audience is going to get a lot out of this. So, Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. And uh, tell, tell them where you, they can find your... Yeah, my book is on Amazon. The audio version just came out in April. It's never enough-itis. It's never fucking enough. So we're caught on this carousel of just chasing, yeah. chasing, chasing. That was really my life. It's a story um, about getting what money can't buy, which is that inner, that inner peace. And, um, you know... Uh, it's, um, it's a, it's a great book. It's done well on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. It's an audiobook, audible. Um, and they can find me on my website, robertaltas.com on Instagram at Robert Altas. Uh, you know, those, those are a couple places people can find me. Love it. Robert Althaus. Thanks for being here, brother. No, thank you. I appreciate it, man. And uh, let's do it again. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. My pleasure. I will definitely audience. I, he, Robert will be back. This is uh this is a treat. You know, it's always a treat when I don't say a lot. It's always a treat. I just want you to get as much mic time as possible. <laughs> so um, this is great audience. Appreciate you listening. Thanks for your support. We'll catch you on the next one.